Welcome in everyone to a fabulous new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful show for you, especially as we head full on into fall and into spooky season. We have the creator, Drew Pissara, here to talk to us about his new work, Price in Purgatory. It's playing November 4th and 5th at 53 above, and you can head over to his website, drewpassara.net to get your tickets and more information. But we are incredibly excited to be bringing you this amazing show about this iconic person. And to tell us more about that, let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Drew. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you here and to be talking about who we're talking about in your new show, Christ in Purgatory. Could we start off by having you tell us a little bit about what this show is about? Well, first off, I want to say I'm really glad that you mentioned that we're about to enter into the spooky season because I do feel like this show is particularly well-timed. It's happening right after Halloween. And is there a, a bigger horror icon than Vincent Price? I don't think so. But the show, Price in Purgatory, is a radio play about the afterlife of Vincent Price. And the conceit of the show is that when Price died, he went to hell, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because he played so many evil characters that it just seemed like a natural place to send him. But once he was there, the Mormons intervened on his behalf. It's a little known fact that during his lifetime, Vincent Price was embraced by the Mormon community because he played Joseph Smith in the biopic Brigham Young. So the idea in the radio play is that the Mormons have lobbied on his behalf to get him from hell to heaven. And the radio play begins with him beginning the journey through purgatory, through the seven sins towards enlightenment. I am living for all of this. This is wonderful. This sounds so fascinating. So how did you come up with the idea for the show? To be honest, my fascination with Vincent Price, to some degree, is based on the fact that people used to tell me I look like him. So, uh, and then when I grew a mustache, it kind of sealed the deal. Like, okay, I'm in uh, Vincent Price clone land now. So he he always had a kind of fascination for me. And, and then I started watching his films, and they're really all over the map. Like, his early films, he was working with Betty Davis and Tallulah Bankhead, and then he was, you know, he did that great noir film, Laura. And then he did a whole bunch of low budget horror that really kind of established him as a, both a horror icon and a camp icon. So I was interested in this idea of how does someone's filmography reflect their life? And especially nowadays where who we are in a performative sense online is how we're perceived in the public. So, you know, taking it into a mid-century place of like, well, what if Vincent Price was being evaluated not on what he did in life, but on on what he did in the movies? Like, what if that's his story? How how would he fare, you know, in terms of in the final analysis? I love all that. Wow. Th this is definitely a very fascinating show. Well, let me ask you, has this show ever been done before or is this the world premiere? This is the world premiere. There was a public reading of the play in an earlier form, 
maybe four years ago at the drawing board, which is an organization that's devoted to giving drafts of scripts, both screenplays and stage plays, their first hearing in front of a audience. And at that time, the piece was conceived as a dance theater piece. And it was really, you know, that's quite an ask to find actors who can dance, sing, and do Vincent or dance and act and do Vincent Price impersonations. So after a couple of years, I thought I would rethink the piece as a radio piece. And I pitched it to the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council and got a grant for it. And then the folks at All Out Arts and the Fresh Fruit Festival came on as producers. So it felt like that was the right route to take for the show. That is incredible. Yeah, I feel pretty lucky. <laughs> that That's quite the journey, though, and, and yes. the great hands that were involved as well. So knowing all of that and building on that, what has it been like developing this upcoming production of Price and Purgatory? Well, since it's a radio play, it, it does present some unique challenges because you have to rethink everything in terms of how do you convey that information strictly through audio. But at the same time, I really wanted it to be a live radio play as opposed to just creating it, you know, to be heard, which is true to the roots of, of radio theater, because back in the old days, they would perform the radio plays in front of a live audience. So in some ways, I've been thinking it both in terms of how might this manifest in front of a live audience and how would that translate strictly into audio terms? So for the stage production, we're having the sound effects guy on stage and he'll be mixing the sound live while the performance is happening and even participating as a kind of announcer at times. And then there are some visual gags, I imagine, that we're going to be doing in the production as well that might be a little bit mystifying for the listener, but I think in a way that could be really fun. And so all sounds very cool. That sounds so exciting. And I love the old radio dramas and the fact that you've brought up the Foley artists up on stage. You know, we get a chance to to see that. That's wonderful. This is actually my second radio play. I did a radio play at the start of the pandemic called The Strange Case of Nick M, which was all about a man who has a memory limit of 10 seconds. So, and it was very much inspired by Beckett's Craps Last Tape. It was developed with Imago Theater out in Portland, Oregon. And it was through that show that I met Louis Lepardi because the Fresh Fruit Festival hosts a radio play festival every year. So I submitted the play to the festival and was a part of that, I guess, two years ago. That's incredible. So with this show, and with its subject matter and everything, is there a message or a thought you're hoping the audiences take away from this? Yes. I have become, I, I went into this project, I would say somewhat dismissive of Vincent Price because my encounters with him were limited to the B-movies, the horror B-movies that he had made. And as much as I enjoyed them, uh, I don't think I realized the complexities of him as a human on the planet. And he was really an incredible figure. You know, we all know that he did the intro for Michael Jackson's Thriller, but he also had a really interesting career in that he 
was an art connoisseur. At one point, he worked on behalf of Sears Roebuck, and every summer he would go to Europe and collect prints and drawings by the masters that at that time were not highly valued, that Sears would then sell in their stores nationwide. And he also was the author of the first celebrity cookbook back in the, I guess it was the early 60s or late 50s. So yeah, he and he founded an art gallery associated with community college in California. So he's somebody who really lived his best life. He looked at the movies he made as opportunities to travel and to have an adventure. So yeah, I, I really grew to appreciate him as kind of a person who made the most of his opportunities. And I would I would love it if people rediscovered Vincent Price and went back and started looking at some of his early films. And even some of his horror movies are amazing, like The Tingler, which when it was originally done, it was a William Castle production and they rigged up all the movie theaters so that it would send an electric jolt into the chairs at certain points during the film. And the House on Haunted Hill, they would rig up the theater so a skeleton would fly in over the audience during the during the movie to kind of freak people out. So yeah, I, I would love it if people came away from this show with a interest in, in exploring more of Vincent Price's career. That is incredible. So my final question for you on this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to Price in Purgatory? One of the things I've discovered when I've been talking about this project is that I think the Vincent Price fans cross into many different demographics. I do think that although he was straight, perhaps by he was married three times. His his daughter, Victoria, wrote a really good biography about him. But I do feel like he's a camp icon that appeals to the gay community. I also think he's a horror icon that appeals to the horror movie community. So in, in terms of access, I would love to see those two communities come together and for it to be a crowd filled with like both the LGBTQ community and the horror movie community, finding a, a common ground in Vincent Price. second part of our interview we'd like to shake things up and give our listeners a chance to kind of pick your brain and get to know you a little bit better and i want to start this second half off with our regular question which is what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or just some of your favorites i'm a huge sam shepherd fan I've, I've read everything of his that I can find. Carol Churchill, big fan of her work. I've been really excited and inspired recently, though, by the sort of public's rediscovery of writers like Alice Childress and Adrian Kennedy, who I saw both of those revivals within the last year on Broadway, and I thought they were terrific. And then Theater for a New Audience did the, the wedding band that Alice Childress play, which was a beautiful production. So... Yeah, I was, I was, it, it's fascinating when you see work from, you know, what was that, 50 years ago that feels 
just as topical today as the day it was written. In in the last couple of years, I've also been really inspired by the work of Pirandello. His whole, you know, what is reality and, you know, is it something that we can even all agree upon feels very timely in our sort of post-alternate facts universe. His his plays feel, I mean, they're, they're strange plays and they're very wordy, but at the same time, he was a, a philosopher playwright. And I, I'd like to bring, you know, some of that thinking in, into a contemporary work. So some of the work I've done with Imago of the, the company on the West Coast that I've collaborated with over the last few years is we did a play last year called Voiceover, and it was all about a dance troupe trying to remember the choreography for a piece they're supposed to perform, but all of the dialogue was done through voiceover. So we were learning what was in the performer's heads. And then a, a new piece I'm working on with them right now, which is called My Bedroom is an Installation, is all about a woman with insomnia and sort of the loopy thinking that happens when you're sleep deprived. So I, I guess I kind of got a little derailed on the answer there, but that's what that's my response. I think that is a wonderful response, a great list. Well, building on these great shows that you have seen recently that that you loved, I mean, have you seen any other shows that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I'm really an off-Broadway guy. So most of the shows that I see that I love are are quickly gone, right? So I was thinking about this and how I'm a huge fan of 59 East, 59th, that space. And they bring in shows for usually like a month run. But I've seen a few shows there within the last year that were really terrific. There was one called The Immortal Jellyfish Girl that was a post-apocalyptic puppet show with a Commedia Fox host that blew my mind. I went in blind and, and was completely floored by that show. And then they had another show late last year called Peerless that was a retelling of Macbeth set in a high school. These two twin girls were representing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth trying to get into an elite college, you know, at any cost. Really funny, very dark. So yeah, if I was going to recommend theater, I, I would encourage people to go to 59th, 59th blind to, to just, you know, take a risk and, and see what they've got playing as a way of supporting theater that is undiscovered as of yet, right? That, that these aren't household names yet, but are making really beautiful work. And just to go back a little bit to your earlier question about things that inspired me, I was, I was thinking b before we, our conversation about shows I had seen in the past that really shaped my thinking or kind of opened my mind to what theater could be. And, and I was remembering how I saw a production of Tiny Ninja Macbeth at PS122 many years ago, and it was in a closet. I think it seated 10 people. We were all provided with binoculars, and he it was a one-man show performing Macbeth with toys. Amazing. And then there was The Race of the Arc Tattoo, which was a show that took place in a thrift store where the actor walked around with this basket of goods and the audience picked different objects. And then he took the objects that were picked 
and each of the objects was a, had a story connected to it. And as he was telling the story associated with each object, a larger narrative formed. So every night the, the narrative would change, right? Based on what objects were picked by the audience and what order they came in. But it was a beautiful story that you had somehow helped shaped just by being there as an audience member. Yeah, that the construct of that piece was so novel and inventive. So, you know, those were two shows that came to mind that that kind of opened my mind to the theater can be this too. I mean, I and I want to say too, like I loved Some Like It Hot, right? Like I'm not against stuff that takes off in the mainstream. I thought that was a sensational production. And I still think about the chase scene with that crazy tap dancing sequence. So hilarious. Yeah. So, but those are my thoughts on that front. I love that though. That's a wonderful additions to your inspirations and wonderful shout out to one of our favorite theaters, 59E59 Theaters. After giving us that fabulous list, I would love to know, you know, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? You know, my answer to this is inspired in part by listening to your podcast. And it is that the theater is a place of reunions and introductions. And that one of the things I love about being a part of the theater community is that if you stick around long enough, that the people that you meet and fall in love with will resurface in your life from time to time, even as you're going on your different paths. And that there's a real beauty as you're going from project to project in terms of those re-encounters with people who, that, who you had these very intense concentrated experiences with, paired with getting to meet new people that are talented and inspiring and lovely with each new project at the same time. That is such a wonderful answer. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's lovely. And a great lead in to my favorite question to ask guests. I'm so excited with this one. Oh boy. Drew, what is your favorite theater memory? This is a tough one, but I, I'm going to go with a, maybe it was five years ago. I do not consider myself a performer, but I was a supernumerary in the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of King Lear at BAM. And the way I got to be a part of that production, my role was tree number three, was an actor I knew sent out an e-blast to all the members of the drawing board, which is the play reading group I'm a part of. And I, when I got the invitation for the audition, I thought, well, this is a mistake. I was, I'm not an actor, but the audition was that Saturday. And I thought, well, what are you doing Saturday? Why don't you just go? So I went to the audition. You didn't have to prepare anything. I had a, a neighbor of mine take my photo in the lobby of my building. So I had a headshot and it was just improv exercises as the audition process. And I think because I, I was there on kind of a lark, I was very free, right? And I ended up making the cut. And after the first day of auditions and all you're doing as tree number three is, you know, hit your marks, right? Like cross over here, stand here, stand there for 20 minutes and, you know, don't move. 
I thought, oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. It's too hard. And then I thought, you will never live it down if you don't continue with this process because you're not going to be asked to perform with the Royal Shakespeare Company again. So, you know, stick it out. And I it ended up being such a beautiful experience in terms of I, it was a, a chorus of maybe 15 men and two women who were, uh, uh, you know, a, a wide array of people. I was by far the oldest member of the, the supernumeraries, but I, I met some really beautiful people in that show and getting to watch King Lear with Anthony Cher as, as Lear every night, you know, five nights a week for a month was incredible. And it was fun to be on the BAM stage, you know, after seeing how many shows there to be at and get to navigate the labyrinthine dressing rooms underground. Yeah, it was, it was a real, it turned out to be a really, really beautiful experience. And the costumes were so great. It was so fun playing dress up every night. So that was my favorite recent memory in terms of the theater. I love that. What a memory. Yeah, what it was a memory. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? So uh, the show Price and Purgatory, which we mentioned, there's another show out in Portland, Oregon called My Bedroom is an Installation. That's opening on October 6th, and it runs until the 23rd. And then I also want to give a plug to, I, I had a poetry book come out this summer called Periodic Boyfriends. And it's a collection of sonnets inspired by the periodic table of elements and a lot of one night stands. And you can get that on Bookshop or Amazon. Amazing. I love that. Also, that makes your background make so much more sense. I was right? wondering what was with the periodic table behind yeah. you. I love that. So many irons in the fire. This is wonderful. And it brings me to my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about Price and Purgatory or about you, perhaps you'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? The best way would be to go to my website, drewpissara.net. But thank you again for having me on your podcast. It was a real pleasure to talk to you today. It was fun. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. And I'm so excited for your show. This is, I mean, this is up my alley. This is the right amount of spooky that I like, you know? So I can't wait to to go see it and to learn more about Vincent Price. That's what I'm most excited about. So- We've got a seat saved with your name on it. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. My guest today has been the creator, Drew Pissara whose show Price in Purgatory is playing November 4th and 5th at 53 Above. Get your tickets now and more information by visiting drewpissara.net. We're also going to have some contact information for our guests posted in our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But make sure you join us to go see this wonderful show, Price in Purgatory. It's playing November 4th and 5th at 53 Above. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Mamiac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. And the lights of old Broadway.